0: Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Isaiah Kid Podcast. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. I feel good. How about you guys? Feel a little bit better than I did with weekend, but great football. All time great divisional round of football. Um, the NFL really, really delivered this week. Really did. It really did. The games were great. All four games were great. Um I watched uh for the most part, I watched all four of them to the to the end to the begin to the beginning to the end. Um, great games, all four games came down to the last possession, came down to the, literally the last play. Uh, we had some all- time great performances, almost some you know some colossal uh choke jobs from a couple teams and so forth. but where do we even start? First and foremost, uh, shouts out to everybody listening. Shouts out to all the first-time listeners. If you're a first-time listener, welcome. Welcome. Shouts out to all the regular listeners uh, coming back once again, back at it again. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate you guys. And by the way, first and foremost, I'm your humble and highly favorite host, Isaiah Kidd of the Isaiah Kidd Podcast. Uh, so like I said, it, you guys know, NFL playoff time. Uh, it's a lot of NFL talk, a lot of playoff talk. Gonna be, I'm going to break down pretty much all of these games. And I was thinking to myself, like, with a great weekend that we had uh, in the NFL, like, all of these games are really good. All of them. I could talk about, and <laughs> it's so funny because Cincinnati, they pulled off a, a really big upset, uh, a 19-16 to win over the one-seed Titans. And granted, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, they're really awesome. It's a great duo. Uh, I think Cincinnati has something brewing. Uh, But Joe Burrow got sacked nine times and Ryan Tannehill had three interceptions, three costly interceptions. And the Titans had some questionable playmaking. But I feel like that's not even the biggest story. And I feel like Ryan Tannehill, he's going to get a break. He's going to get a pass because the other three games were just so much better. And quite frankly, bigger headlines, bigger stories. Aaron Rodgers. Another 49ers playoff loss. He's now 0-4 versus the Niners. Uh, The Rams advancing back to the NFC Championship since their Super Bowl year. Matthew Stafford came up big. They almost had a a classic historic choke job. And then last but not least, last but certainly not least, we had Kansas City, Buffalo, Mahomes, Josh Allen, all-time great performances from those two. So I was thinking, what should I start with? And like I said, usually, typically, on a regular divisional week or playoff week, a performance from Ryan Tannehill or performance that Ryan Tannehill put out, that would usually make front-page news. But this weekend was so big. Tom Brady got eliminated. Aaron Rodgers got eliminated. And it's just like, okay, Ryan Tannehill got eliminated. <laughs> like, uh, can't really start with Ryan Tannehill. Can't really start with the Ryan Tannehill and the Titans one seed upset loss, uh, you can't really start with that. So I'm, I'm going to start with obviously Bills Chiefs. Um, what approach do I want to take? Because I I, t- I feel like I this is this is like a told you so moment, in terms of this quarterback head coach tandem. I've been talking about the quarterback head coach dynamic and how important it is since literally. After Wild Card Weekend, I've been talking about it. And once again, it proved itself once again with Kansas City, with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. I'm going to get to that. But let's just first start off with the two performances from the quarterbacks. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes. Both played awesome. Both played great enough. Really great. All-time performance by both of them. Both quarterbacks played respectfully well enough to win the football game. And I remember watching the game and Buffalo scores that last touchdown to go up three points. And, you know, Josh Allen, he just threw an absolute dart to Gabriel, you know, Gabriel Davis. And I, I could just the CBS uh, TV crew, the camera crew. They were showing all the Bills fans. They were showing some Bills fans in the box. They were hugging each other. It made you know, it made it seem like, oh, yeah, the Bills about to win and go to the AFC Championship. And, you know, the Kansas City fans were a bit down. You could tell. And then I saw the camera point back on Patrick Mahomes on the sideline. And Patrick was like grabbing his helmet. Patrick was like, let's go. You could tell he was ready to get back on the field with only 13 seconds left. And... The rest is, you know, history. So (laughs) I don't even know where to start. Like I said, I'm not going to – we should not take for granted, and I posted this on social media too. I was like, we shouldn't take for granted – this is a great game, but we should not take for granted what we saw from these two quarterbacks. And I think what we saw from these two quarterbacks was the new, the all-around – High end, elite level 2022 quarterback. I talk about it all the time, but there is an abundance of quarterback talent throughout this league. And there were some great quarterback performances this past weekend. And you got to see a lot of that. And I think this is the new age. I'm th- like, especially these two. I think these two are the faces of the new age 2022 quarterback and what it looks like at an elite level, because these, both of these guys play the position at a superior level with using their arms while using their arms and their legs at an elite level. They, they both did it at an elite level. Josh Allen, just so powerful, so big, so strong, even in the running game. And then we all know about the gracious arm talent that both of these guys share. Uh, Mahomes is a lot more finesse, and you know a little bit fancier. Josh Allen just has—he just draws back, and he has a rocket. He just—he—he he lets the thing—he lets that thing go, and he has a rocket. Mahomes is more finesse. Uh, looks looks prettier, looks fancier. Side arm, all types of different arm angles. Josh Allen—he just throws darts, and he—he he throws like, like it's—it's it's nothing. It's nothing to him. He drops back, he slings it. It's nothing. And it was, it was great to watch. It was exciting to watch. A very exciting game. Then let me get to Kansas City. Uh <laughs> and I picked Kansas City to win this game. Ultimately, and I and my ultimate reason was because of Patrick Mahomes. I said Patrick Mahomes uh is a more consistent, uh, high-level performer than Josh Allen. Well, boy. <laughs> I'm not going to say I was wrong, but who knew that both of them were going to play at an all time elite level. They both did that. Mahomes and Andy Reid, just a little bit better, just a little bit better. And I talked about this, you know, I've been talking about this since the Cowboys loss with, you know, with addressing the Mike McCarthy and Dak Prescott issue. Um, the whole, I just been talking about it, the quarterback head coach dynamic and tandem. And, I think as of right now today, and I I don't don't think we can really, I don't think people would have much argument. I don't think you guys will have much argument when I'm about to say, but I think the best head coach quarterback tandem right now currently in the NFL is is Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. And I think they perfectly, perfectly match each other. For years, think about it. For years, Andy Reid in Philadelphia, yeah, he had Donovan McNabb. Donovan McNabb was dynamic for his time and really good. Right. And obviously, for those four, for those for that first tender, that first stretch in Philadelphia, Andy Reid got the four NFC championship games, got to one Super Bowl, was never really able to get over the hump. And since then and before Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, we always knew Andy Reid was a great offensive mind, offensive wizard. We always knew that his teams were always able to score points. And for some reason, the postseason, they couldn't get it done. Whether that was the scheme and, off, you know, the and the league being heavily predicated towards the defense or him having a quarterback talent um, or him not having a quarterback talent such as Patrick Mahomes and, you know, dealing with, you know, McNabb, Alex Smith. Hell, there was a couple years with Kevin Cobb. I remember those days in Philadelphia. And... One day, one year, one draft, Andy Reid in and the Chiefs front office, they strike gold with Patrick Mahomes. And ever since then, it's been, you know, the rest has been history. But I think Andy Reid, for a long time, has been missing a dynamic playmaker under the center who can really bring his offense to life. And that's what Patrick Mahomes does. He brings his offense to life always we've always known andy reed to be a great offensive mind but he didn't get over the hump until he got patrick mahomes and with patrick mahomes i feel like andy reed is the perfect teacher the teacher of football the teacher of offense the teacher of quarterbacking patrick mahomes the sc- like when, when we see these scouting reports, scouting reports and these guys and when a scouting report kind of bashes a guy and when these guys turn into stars, we automatically say, oh, my God, the scouting report on that guy was bad. No, 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 no. The scouting report on Patrick Mahomes was absolutely right. If you watch him at Texas at Texas Tech, his mechanics were a bit out of whack. Yeah, he had wonderful arm talent, but his mechanics were often out of whack. He can be a bit – his, his playmaking and his judgment could be a bit uh, shaky at times and a bit risky and a bit out there. Had a lot of Brett Favre. That's literally what the scouting report said. The scouting report was not wrong. It's just that he went to Andy Reid, a great teacher of offense, who was able to hold on, him, on to those skills and perfectly match those skill sets with the raw ability, but also having some type of discipline. That's what Andy Reid brings with Patrick Mahomes. And now you have a great, perfectly fit match as far as head coach quarterback. And it just so happenedly, Andy Reid's an elite head coach. Patrick Mahomes is the elite quarterback. And this is how you have. This is how you get to four straight AFC Championship games. This is how I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna win. I think they're gonna win the AFC Championship. And this is how you get the three straight Super Bowls. A coach. I tell you guys all the time. You gotta have a. You gotta have an A and something. You, one of those two things have to be elite. Either your quarterback has to be elite or your coach has to be elite. It's just, it's just so happily, Kansas City has both of those things. Coach is elite and the quarterback plays elite. And the tandem themselves fit perfectly. They fit perfectly. And as I said, with Kansas City and Mahomes and Andy Reid, like I said, Andy Reid's elite. Patrick Mahomes is elite. If Kansas City's front office, if Brent reach continues to draft consistently, if he can continue to hit on the draft, Kansas City, they're going to be in the thick of contention for years to come. That's I'm not saying they're going to win five, seven Super Bowls. I'm not saying they're going to get to seven or six straight Super Bowls. But they will remain in contention and having a shot on a yearly basis if they could if their front office Brett beach, if he continues to hit on the draft like he does already, and you got Patrick Mahomes and Reed. They're gonna remain in contention. So get used to seeing it. And then obviously the greatness of Tyree Kill, Travis Kelsey, I mean, Tyree Kill, his speed is just like. You know how Steph Curry and his three-point shooting is is just such, it's just so, uh, just so demoralizing to NBA defenses and his range. That's Tyreek Hill's speed in the NFL. His Tyreek Hill is literally like the Steph Curry of the NFL in terms of how dangerous and how demoralizing his speed can be for opposing defenses. <laughs> I think on that last touchdown that he scored, uh, the one right before two minute, well, the one that's the the second to last touchdown (laughs) that he he just took off running and the the corner was literally holding him, still couldn't contain him and he just broke off for he just broke off a sixty yard sixty yard touchdown like it's crazy, it's remarkable to see and it's crazy to see and his speed is so demoralizing. He is the true definition of speed kills. And then with Travis Kelsey, he's an ultimate mismatch. He's an ultimate mismatch. Linebackers are too slow to cover him. Safeties are too small usually. You literally have to put, like you got to legitimately think about putting your best DB on Travis Kelsey. Unheard of at the tight end position. Not a lot of tight ends can say that. Not a lot of tight ends can say that. So you you bunch that in with Mahomes, and Andy Reid, and you know the improved offensive line. You had the Kansas City Chiefs this year, and it was looking a bit gloomy. It was looking very much gloomy, you know, midway through the season for Kansas City. But then they just they hit their stride. Like I said, Mahomes, uh, he has his rough, He has his rough stretches at times, but I think that's what makes Andy Reid so valuable. Because he's able to reel him in. He's able to reel him in in discipline. Cut down on turnovers. Mahomes was turnover happy. He was just turning over the ball. That was really putting him in a hole. That really did it. The turnovers. Doesn't turn the ball over that much. Since week 10, hasn't turned the ball over that much. Hasn't been that sloppy offensively. So that's Kansas City. Now let's let's look at Buffalo. Like I said, Josh Allen... I, and, I, and this is no – when I was talking about the coach-quarterback tandem between Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, that's no slight to Josh Allen and Sean McDermott. I think they are pretty good tandem too. It's just that Mahomes and Andy Reed Reid are better. <laughs> I think Sean McDermott could really coach. I think he's one of the more – he's a, for him to be a defensive-minded coach, uh, I think he he's one of the better young coaches in football, especially as a defensive mind. And with Josh Allen, like I said, Josh Allen, I think with this playoff run he had, I mean – Nine touchdowns in the span of two games, um, he was wonderful. He was wonderful this playoff run. And I think he, you know, he got paid. He had a really pretty good, pretty good regular season this year. Um, and then you look at the postseason, he obviously the wild card win versus New England, and then this game versus Kansas City, he was awesome. He was good enough to win. Uh this looked like if if Buffalo would have won. This this could have been like Josh Allen. This could have been like one of the better quarterback playoff runs we've ever seen statistically because he was that on. He was he was hot. Now, let's get to. How they lost but the Bills, right? Because, like I said, the offense played really well. The offense couldn't have played any better. Gabriel Davis had the game of his life. Um, that's, it's also important to mention Tyron Matthew got hurt on the first possession of the game. So, I think that really changed and switched the dynamic up for Kansas City. But we'll talk about that um, for next week in the AFC Championship game versus Cincinnati. But Buffalo, they go up 36 33 after scoring that touchdown. And there's 13 seconds left. Now, like myself and a lot of other people that were watching, including Bills, maybe even Chiefs fans, we thought, hey, the game is over. Kansas, uh Buffalo, you squib kick it, you squib kick it, or you 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 let them return it. You don't you don't kick it out of the end zone. And, you know, you run off four or five seconds, Mahomes in the offense, they have one play left, that's it. You advance the AFC Championship. Uh then it didn't it didn't, it didn't quite happen like that. Uh Buffalo, I think the first mistake they made was They kicked the ball out of bounds. So it was 13 seconds remaining. Kansas City still had timeouts. And so (laughs) instead of four seconds being gone, where if you take all four seconds, that leaves you nine seconds. That's about – Kansas City has one good play maybe, maybe another play, but you don't have what happened if you just kick the ball and keep it in bounds. So that was that. Then. Okay, Kansas City starts the ball at 25. You let Tyreek Hill get a head start, no physical – no like they could have literally – and I'm not saying I know more football than Sean McDermott because I think it's important to note, like I said, Sean McDermott is a defensive-minded coach, and Leslie Frazier is one of the better defensive coordinators in football. He's up for a head coaching job and was previously a head coach. So you have two defensive minds – and the, the, the Bills literally could have pressed up on Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, and they could have literally hold them. They could have held them and got a, t- a defensive holding call and 10-yard penalty, and the clock, they can't, you can't reset time. They would have wasted time and the game, ball game. That, that literally, but it, that, that would have been it. You get one stop, that would have been it. So you let Tyreek Hill... He breaks off about 20 plus yards of 20 plus yard reception. Okay. So then the next play, obviously, uh, obviously uh, Kansas City calls timeout. And Buffalo calls timeout before the player snapped. So you're thinking, okay, Buffalo's getting in position. They're not going to let anything go deep. They're not going to let them beat them deep. And you're not going to, you're certainly not going to let. Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey get the football. Oh, nope. what do you know? <laughs> Next play, Travis Kelsey gets the football. Kansas City's in field goal range, and we have a miracle here because Kansas City has taken the game to overtime. Buffalo having a number one overall defense in the league. Uh, that's just unacceptable. That's just unacceptable. And I see... I see people complaining about the overtime rules. Uh this is this this is where it comes down to. We can't complain about the overtime rule. Buffalo had a chance to win the game. Because what people are saying is, well, 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 with Josh Allen, the offense didn't get a chance to have the ball in the head. Buffalo had a chance, 13 seconds, to get a stop. And they advance. They win. So the whole arguing about the, the the overtime rule, it the overtime rule is put in place to prevent it's 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 formatted that way to reduce injury. And obviously, as the game wears on, players get tired, so the the reduce in performance is gonna go down. I know a lot of people are referring to the college football rule. A lot of people, some people like the college football rule for some reason. I don't think the college football rule is like, there's no kickoffs. Like, there's no special teams involved. I, I don't, I, I, I think that's, that's a, that's a very important element of football, the special teams. College football, the college football overtime completely takes out, they, they, they completely wipe away the special teams unit. Why? That's important. That's a vital part of football. Ask the Green Bay Packers and the 49ers. <laughs> vital part of the game. So I, I, I'm not in favor of the college football overtime. I I never liked it. I think I mean it, you get you do get a high scoring game, but you, it's not. I don't think it's a great overtime rule. You start at your opponent. You start in the red zone. Like I don't think it's a great overtime rule. I think the NFL's overtime rule is simply okay, because what if Buffalo got the ball first? Then what? We're what we going to say, "Oh, Kansas City! They should have had a... no, 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 <laughs> no, no, Buffalo!" All and they have two All-Pro safeties in the secondary, two All-Pro safeties in the secondary. Who I like very much. I like Micah Hyde and I like Jordan Poyer two really good safeties, and they allowed that to happen. That's unacceptable. We should not blame that on the overtime rule. We should be blaming the Bills' defense. We should be talking about the Bills' defense. We shouldn't be having whole, full-blown conversations about the NFL's overtime rule. We know why it's formatted and designed like that. We know why. So why are we even trying to dispute and and, and disengage and talk about and down the overtime rule. We know why the overtime rule is what it is. Buffalo defensively should have been better. They should have been better. They should have been smarter. <laughs> they should have been smarter. Buffalo should have been smarter defensively. Point blank. Period. And I, like I said, I, this is this is not me bashing or calling Sean, um, Sean McDermott. Not a, like I think Sean McDermott. He's a really good coach. I think Buffalo played their tails off. I think Buffalo played good enough to win up until that point. But the mere fact that they have two defensive minds on the sideline and they call the timeout and that still happens, the Buffalo Bills, ladies and gentlemen, no matter how good Josh Allen played, and he played damn good, good enough to win the game, the Bills deserve to lose when you give up something like that. And this is not me taking away credit from Patrick Mahomes. I talk, I just talked about how all-time great he is. Patrick Mahomes is great. Travis Kelce is great. Tyreek Hill is great. That's another thing. The one thing I like about Belichick defensively, or the one thing you know what he's going to do defensively, he takes away what you do best. He takes away your best options. So even if you're the Bills, even – if you're going to let Kansas City do what they do, just don't let Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey beat you. Well, I'd be damned. The Bills let Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey beat them. You know, like, who else did you think Patrick Mahomes was going to throw the ball to in that situation? It's even going to be Tyreek Hill or Travis Kelsey. That's like, that's simple defensive one-on-one type of stuff where, like, you take away the, the 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 opposing offense best option. That's the main thing. That's the main formula to Belichick and his greatness on defense. He takes away what you do best. He takes away your number one or your number two option. It's as simple as that. Buffalo, you could have you could, like if you're gonna if you're gonna let Kansas City do that, let Byron Pringle beat you. Let uh McCole Harmon beat you. But don't let Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill beat you. Don't let don't let that happen because we already know they're good enough and they they did. They beat them. So like I said, I, I you know, Buffalo, I truly think these were the two best teams in the AFC. Um and that, that's no slight to Cincinnati, but I think overall, I think we can agree that Buffalo I think Buffalo in Kansas City, respectfully, they look like the two best teams in the conference. So that's that. But I feel I, 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 me, a part of me does feel for Buffalo because they—they had the game almost won, but with 13 seconds left, there's just so many defensive miscues and blunders that happen in the span of that 13 seconds. It's almost—it's almost like you deserve to lose. And then Kansas City, like I said, four straight playoff, I mean, four straight AFC championship appearances. Patrick Mahomes has been a four year starter all four years. He's made the AFC championship game. Congrats to Kansas City. Buffalo, I think we'll be back. Um, And, you know, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, these guys are great. Travis Kelsey, Travis Hill, offensive line. Orlando Brown Jr. had a great day. Um, at left tackle for Kansas City, great day for Orlando Brown Jr. Uh, but, you know, that was great. That was a great game. That was that was probably the best game I ever saw. The greatest playoff game I ever saw. I must add. I must add that. Um, so let's shift gears to, I don't know. Let's shift gears to the Packers. Let's shift gears to the Packers uh, and 49ers divisional matchup. Okay, so Packers 49ers, the Packers lost 13-10, to the 49ers advance, great playoff win, uh, another great playoff win by Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers, um, Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, we bang on Jimmy Garoppolo, and <laughs> the 49ers, is, I mean, it seems as if they're going to move off of him, um, but Garoppolo, all he does is win, when he's healthy, he wins a lot of games, he wins a lot of games. Um, he doesn't always have the most impressive stats or the most, you know, the most gaudy numbers that we look at at the end of the day. But he's he wins and he's playing this weekend, unlike Aaron Rodgers. Now, before I even get into the, into the 49ers and, you know, I I must say, D'Amico Ryan's defensive coordinator really did a really good job uh, with this 49ers defensive unit. Um, but let's talk about the Packers. Uh, and we can we can talk about special teams. We can talk about Matt Lafleur. You know, we can talk about a lot of things. But at what point are we just gonna say Aaron Rodgers comes up short in big spots? We call him. I mean, some people some people call him the bad man, as if like he's really really good. But like bad, you know, you guys get that. Call him the bad man and. We give him all of these titles, all these superlatives, but in the bigger, but the bigger the moment, the smaller Aaron Rodgers performs, and there's there there's there's a trend of this. You can look at his regular season record. You can look at his postseason record. When Aaron, you would think with Aaron Rodgers and all his talent and you know some of the you know the memorable drives that he have in the play in the playoffs, you would think he's really good from behind. Well, actually, that's not true at all. Aaron Rodgers is be he has a he has a below five hundred record when trailing versus a playoff team, even at Lambeau. So while trailing. Aaron Rodgers has a record, but he has a below 500 record while trailing, even at Lambeau. So when his backup, when his back is against the wall, when Aaron Rodgers isn't front running, he's a totally different quarterback. He plays it safe. I've been talking about this for a while, for a while now. Aaron Rodgers has, I think, he has the highest all time passer rating in in league history. He's a great quarterback. I'm not going to take anything away from him. But that stat can be a bit misleading because over the last three years, Aaron Rodgers has led the league in throwaways. You know why he's led the league in throwaways? Because he doesn't want to mess up that perfect, that passer rating record that he has. He has the highest passer rating rating in league history. He doesn't want to mess that up by throwing interceptions. So instead, he don't take chances, he don't take risk, and he throws it away out of bounds. That's why he's led the league in throwaways the last three years. He bails on plays too quickly. Aaron Rodgers has trust issues, and I know it just sounds it sounds like that I'm I'm just piling on Aaron Rodgers, but I feel like we give him so much praise, we anoint him on a yearly basis. And we're being if we're being quite honest, we do it where he's playing in a pretty crappy division. We praise him for dominating the Chicago Bears. He earlier actually earlier this year, he said he owned the Chicago Bears. Well, if that's the case, I guess the 49ers own Aaron Rodgers. Because he's 0-4 versus the Niners in the playoffs. And three of those games were were in his home field, Lambeau, and he's he's lost three of them at Lambeau. And then we obviously know about the NFC Championship game where he just got washed. So we can't like we we give him all of this praise, and I think as a talent, I think he's an all time great. I think he's an all time great quarterback. I'm not trying to say Aaron Rodgers isn't a great quarterback. He is. But we got to stop comparing him and putting him in these GOAT conversations where he comes up relatively small in the postseason. And I think a lot of what Aaron Rodgers deals with as far as his personality and what kind of guy he is, it often reflects and it shows on the field. Especially when things aren't going his way. Like I said, when Aaron Rodgers isn't front running, he's a different type of quarterback. Now, some some may consider that a hot take, but I would just go beg you to go look at his numbers when he's trailing. Go look at his record when he's trailing. When he's trailing, he's a totally different quarterback than when he's leading. And I guess you can make that argument for every quarterback. But don't you know Ryan Tannehill, (laughs) who also didn't have a great weekend this weekend? (laughs) You don't you know Ryan Tannehill has more has more fourth quarter comebacks than Aaron Rodgers in the last four years? Ryan Tannehill. So we can we can continue to you know praise him and so forth, but I think a lot of the personality deficiencies that we often hear and point out about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is very flaky. He's, he's real cocky, has trust issues. A lot of those things that we hear from either family members, former teammates, or just different sources, we see it on the field. It reflects on the field. It reeks on the field. Aaron Rodgers doesn't trust anybody, and as far as the receiving core, he doesn't trust anybody outside of number 17. If Devontae Adams ain't open, uh, n- nobody ain't really getting it. Mercedes Lewis, <clears throat> early in the game, I think, I think it was in the first quarter, Aaron Rodgers threw him a pass, Mercedes Lewis caught it, Mercedes Lewis fumbled, and Aaron Rodgers never looked Mercedes Lewis' way. Never looked Mercedes Lewis' way didn't even iced them out, ghost them. Ghost him. And I just look at, you know, obviously Jimmy Garoppolo, he's not he's not nearly he's not nearly the talent that Aaron Rodgers is. But I swear, every time I saw Jimmy Garoppolo, even and I was Jimmy Garoppolo did not play good at all. He didn't play good at all this past weekend either. And he, he made some really poor decisions at times. But even when I saw Jimmy Garoppolo throughout the game his body language remained the same he never had his head down he didn't freeze out guys he always looked confident he always just looked confident tom brady this past weekend had a rough week re- had a rough weekend his offensive line let him down brady didn't play his best but he never just wa- he never wavered he never bailed on his team rogers just looked like Three and out, fumble, miss kicks, special team blunders. And it was just Aaron, just like oh, it's another day. The body language, he just never looked fully there. And we, like I said, we can, we always. We, it seems like Aaron Rodgers apologists. They always find a scapegoat. Oh, it's the special teams. Last year, it was Kevin King. Last year, it was Kevin King and Matt LaFleur. Everybody was talking about how Matt LaFleur made the wrong decision on the fourth and and goal. Everybody was talking about Kevin King and his blown assignments and his blown coverages. Nobody talked about Aaron Rodgers in his play. You know what it is this year? Special teams. Packers special teams. (laughs) They cost Aaron Rodgers another, another, another playoff win. And I'm like, well, Aaron only did score 10 points. Oh, no, no, no. His special teams. Only scored 10 points. I mean, the 49ers defense is really good. Don't don't I don't want that to it's really good. It ain't that damn good. (laughs) 10 points at home. We always find a scapegoat for Aaron. Maybe it's just time to start pointing the finger at Aaron. Maybe it's Aaron. (laughs) I mean, it's two things can be true. Aaron can be a great quarterback, all-time great all-time great talent, have great regular seasons but also perform or underperform and underachieve in the postseason. And that's what he's done, literally, for the past decade. He hasn't been back to the Super Bowl since he's won his first Super Bowl. That was in 2010. That seems like ancient history. In 2010, I was nine. Now, I'm halfway through my sophomore year of college. It's been a long time since Aaron Rodgers played in the big game. been a long time. And you know, on to, I'm going to move to the 49ers because you would think with the weather, with the 49ers being like a quote-unquote warm, warm weather team, you would think that the snow and the cold would affect them more. It actually it didn't. It actually kind of played into the hands of the 49ers because of the way their place because of their play style, the 49ers are a physical football team with a nasty defensive line, a, a damn good offensive line. They run the football, they're physical. Debo Samuel's physical, Nick Bosa's physical, Trent Williams' physical. Their best players all have like some type of physicality physicality trait. Their best players, Jimmy. Uh, uh look at look, Debo Samuel, Trent, Trent Williams, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, George Kittle. All of their best players have a physicality trait about themselves, not afraid to get their hands dirty. So actually, I thought the weather in Lambeau and Green Bay that you saw this past weekend actually favored the 49ers more because the Packers are more of the finesse team. They rely on their air attack. They rely on throwing the ball down the field vertically. And I think it also just shows – despite Aaron having back-to-back MVP caliber years, despite him having a great connection with Devontae Adams, and it looks very unstoppable at times, despite all of that, I think it still shows at this point of Aaron Rodgers' career, he needs a steady ground running uh, running attack to go with his arm. Because at this point, I think it's safe to say that Aaron Rodgers versus elite teams in the postseason Cannot win games predicated with just throwing the ball 40 to 50 times. He can't do it. He needs a balanced running attack. And that's no slight to Aaron Rodgers and his ability. But it's just the fact. It's just the fact. We saw it happen with Tom this year. We saw it happen with Tom this past weekend too. Tom Brady, still great, still playing at an elite level, but Brady needs a so he needs a so he needs a great supporting cast. Around him because he's aging. He can no longer throw the ball 45, 50 times and win like he did 10 years ago. And the same goes for Aaron. Aaron needs a balanced running attack, a steady running attack to coexist with his arm in order to win big in the postseason. And the 49ers did a great job with taking that away. And like I said, if you're Aaron Rodgers, if you're the MVP, if you're the bad man, if you're that guy, you score more than 10 points. You score more than 10 points. The Packers scored on their opening drive. They scored a touchdown on their opening drive. You know how many, you know how many points they scored after that? Three. If you're Aaron Rodgers, if you're the bad man, if you're that guy, and me truly, I don't think he's that guy. He's not that guy. Aaron Rodgers, you gotta be better. But I think a lot of what the personality deficiencies that we talk about with Aaron Rodgers, a lot of the character issues that a lot of people point towards with Aaron Rodgers is a reflection of what we see on the field when things are not going his way. All-time great quarterback, all-time great talent, but character-wise, I don't love it. And I don't think his teammates really love it. I don't think it's the best approach to have in a crisis. I don't want Aaron Rodgers in a crisis. Give me Tom Brady in a crisis all day long. Give me Joe Burrow, who got sacked nine times in a crisis all day long. Give me Patrick Mahomes with 13 seconds left in a crisis over Aaron Rodgers. I don't want Aaron Rodgers in a crisis. If the, bur- if the-, if the house is burning down, I got to get the kids and the wife out, don't, Aaron Rodgers can stay home. He can keep his discount double-checked. I don't want it. I I don't want the Rodgers rate. Uh, He can keep it. Because in a crisis, he absolutely folds. He folds. He folds like a lawn chair. With me, give me Tom. Give me Tom Brady. Give give, give me Joe Burrow. Give me me those guys in a crisis. They're, They're mature. They got a certain swagger about themselves, a certain confidence about themselves. Aaron Rodgers has a confidence about himself. He has confidence for sure. I think it's a, you know it's borderline ego and cocky but he has confidence about himself but Aaron his character in the crisis I don't love it when he's trailing I don't love it I don't he's cool he got the swagger but I don't I don't love it I don't love him in the crisis and that is why he continues to lose in the postseason With the 49ers I uh, <laughs> Boy, oh, boy. Kyle Shanahan, great. Once again, did a really good job with managing the game with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like I said, Garoppolo, he doesn't always he, – he, he doesn't have, like, the pure talent that a lot of these other guys have, and he doesn't have the flashy numbers, but Garoppolo is confident, you know. I think I, – I think, and you guys may think I'm reading into this a little bit, but with Garoppolo, I think a lot of his confidence comes from his looks, he thinks he's a good looking guy. A lot of people think he's a good looking guy. So Jimmy Garoppolo has confidence. Rightfully so. And it shows. It shows. I you know, Garoppolo, he doesn't he doesn't have all the flashy talent and the you know the arm talent and so forth, but he got confidence. The dude is confident. He got swagger. Um, so congrats to the 49ers. Um, by the way. I'm gonna do a top ten players list. So usually I do a top ten team, I do a top ten teams list. I couldn't do it last week. I did a top eight teams remaining in the postseason. um I'm gonna do a top ten player list. top ten players that's remaining in the playoffs. So stay tuned for that. I want to also move to the Rams game. The Rams, Matthew Stafford, hell of a job. Great game. Almost had a colossal choke job. They almost had a colossal choke job versus the Buccaneers. But it was clearly, it was it was clear to me, and as I told you guys on the previous week, on the previous episode, as I picked the Rams to beat the Buccaneers, if you watch the last 3 matchups of these teams, including this weekend's game, it was very clear that the Rams were the better team. Earlier in the season, all the way up to now when they played each other, the Rams were a better team. Uh, ultimately, Tampa Bay—they just had too many injuries, especially up front, where they couldn't replace. You lose an All-Pro like Worths um, at right tackle, and then Von Miller and that, and Aaron Donald, and that. Excuse me, and that Rams defensive line was just ferocious, and they were all over Tom Brady all day, all day, and very similar to Aaron. Um, unlike Aaron, Brady does, you know, even in a crisis or even when trailing, he still remains confident and cool. Um, and he's able to guide, he's able to galvanize players and his teammates uh, didn't quite work this time. They fell a little bit short. I think the Rams, the Rams, their full fumbles was just uh, it was just crazy. That was a crazy game to me. The Rams fumbled four times, which ultimately got the Buccaneers back into the game, and it made the game closer than what it seemed. The final score was 30 to 27, but the Rams could have easily won this game by 20 points. They could have easily won this game by 20 points because that's how dominant they were to start off. The first three and a half quarters, that's how dominant the Rams were. Um, they almost, like I said, they almost had a colossal choke job. Matthew Stafford came up really big. Matthew Stafford came up huge in a big moment and that's what I was looking for. That was the type of that was the type of performance I was looking from for from Matthew Stafford. He was he I mean early on he was very comfortable even versus a pretty decent Buccaneers front four cuz their front four was back Shaq Barrett, JPP, Ndamukong Sue and Vita Vea. Matthew Stafford did a hell of a job with handling that, um, throwing the ball accurately to his weapons. Getting Cooper Cup had obviously had a big day. OBJ had a big day, and um, the Rams ultimately won. I'm not surprised, but that result, like I said, I thought the Rams were the better team, uh, and it was it was just my my thing was my 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 only concern really, my biggest concern, I should say. Was Matthew Stafford and his turnovers? Uh, it, now the Rams they had, a, they had four turnovers, but they didn't come from Matthew Stafford. They had they had, they had four fumbles. Uh, Cam Akers got to clean that up. Um, but the Rams, hell of a job, well played game. And like I said, those fumbles really they made the game closer than what they really were than what they than what the game really was. It shouldn't have been that close. At all. Shouldn't have been that close. And and as I was saying, for the Titans, <laughs> I'm going to shift gears to the Titans and Bengals game. Uh, I'm not going to say the least interesting, but obviously Kansas City and Green Bay and the Rams and Buccaneers, those games got more coverage and more eyes. But this Cincinnati and Tennessee game was really good as well. Now, this is, this, was, this is, like, my biggest question or, like, my biggest, like, statement all weekend, and it was this. How in the hell did Joe Burrow and the Bengals imagine to win a playoff game and he was sacked nine times? When you sack a quarterback nine times, or when your quarterback gets sacked 9 times in a playoff game, you're not supposed to win that game. You're not supposed to win that game. It's it's the equivalent of a baseball team winning playoff series with a bad bullpen. Like like that's the thing in baseball. Like if you have if you have a bad bullpen in baseball, you're not supposed to win playoff series after playoff series. And somehow some way Cincinnati by far and it's not even close have the worst the absolute worst offensive line remaining in the playoffs and they were still able to come up with the win now let's let's explain how the Titans lord jesus Ryan Tannehill Ryan Tannehill like I said the Ryan Tannehill story him throwing three picks and the Titans' play calling, with not just—I mean—if the, the, the Titans run the ball, they win. But with the combination of Tannehill and his turnovers, and the Titans' play selection, it's—it's it, it, a—it's—it's it's a bad loss, and it's not going to get talked about as much as it should because these other three games, like I said, were more, were bigger, and bigger storylines. So it's not going to get talked about as much. But Ryan Tannehill was absolutely awful. (laughs) He was awful. Like, absolutely awful. So that answered my question when I asked. And I continued to ask people all throughout the internet. I asked a couple friends. I I was just asking everybody. I'm like, how in the hell do you win a playoff game when your quarterback is sacked nine times, how do you win a playoff game like that? You win a playoff game like that when the opposing team doesn't stick to their strength, which is run the ball, and when the opposing quarterback, <laughs> instead of him getting sacked nine times, he had three crucial turnovers. That's how Cincinnati won. No, like I said, I'm not going to take anything away from Cincinnati. Joe Burrow had a great game. Three, he, he, um, he threw for 350, 350 yards. And just the mere fact that he was able to overcome nine sacks is amazing. But that's typically not how you win playoff games. <laughs> that's not how you win playoff games. And somehow, way, the Cincinnati Bengals were able to pull it off. Um, that's, that's just strange to me. So. Those are the games this past weekend. Like I said, after this quick break, I'm going to come back. I'm going to have a list of the top 10 players remaining in the playoffs. I think this should be very interesting. Um, This might be very controversial. I'm having a hard time doing it. Uh, but I'm going to come back with a top 10 list of players that's remaining in the playoffs after this quick break. All right. So I know I said, uh, <laughs> by the way, usually I'm replacing. I had to replace my top 10 teams segment because obviously there's no longer 10 teams remaining. Now, I said top 10 players remaining. There's so many good players. I had to put top 15 Uh, because you guys would have been looking at me funny if I didn't have certain players on it because they simply wouldn't have made it. Uh, <laughs> that's just how deep uh a lot of these teams are, really. Um, but top 15 players list. Let's start. Let's start at 15. Um, at 15, I have San Francisco 49ers tight end George Kittle. Like I said, you look at the Niners best players. They all are physical. (laughs) They all have a physical approach and mentality about themselves. Kittle is that. Kittle had a one. He had one big drop in the Packers game. But after that one drop, he really made some crucial catches down the stretch on third down. Obviously, he's one of the best, if not the best, blocking tight end in football. Um, so Kittle is gonna—he's gonna do a lot. Uh, his number, it don't, his impact, really don't always show on like in terms of the numbers, but he—he's he, still a really impactful player. Kittle at fifteen, at fourteen, I have Chris Jones. Uh, outside of Aaron Donald, Chris Jones, I think is probably the best defensive tackle in football outside of Aaron Donald. Uh, he, he causes so much havoc up front. Uh, he brings so much to that Kansas city front seven, uh, that they desperately need at times. Uh, so, and we already know about the impact that he has and he brings because once they made the position change and put him back at D tackle, his original spot. The Kansas City Chiefs defense turned around. Chris Jones at 14. At 13, Fred Warner, uh 49ers linebacker. Fred Warner. Uh, like I said, all of the 49ers' best players, physical approach, Fred Warner is so versatile. You can catch him in coverage. Um, you can sometimes occasionally send him on a blitz. He's a great run stopper. He's a thumper, uh, but still fast and athletic enough to really you know have you know play an integral part in pass coverage fred won at 13 at 12 i put nick bosa nick bosa is really dominant really dominant um just just a nasty pass rusher both both Bosa's are really good nick still playing nick is absolutely the 49ers best pass rush he lets that thing go he he's the engine to that pass rushing unit um at 11 I have Jamar Chase. I got I got Jamar Chase at 11. He is so talented. Like even when he's not open, he's kind of open. Like even when he's not open, he's kind of open. Uh he's he's shattering all types of rookie receiving records. Uh him and Joe Burrow might be the second best duo in the league. Uh or, or close second after Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Jamar Chase, just absolutely phenomenal. Great talent. Uh, just he's one of those one in generational type talent receivers at that position. He's one of those type of talents. Uh at 10, I got the best corner in football, Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey, shutdown corner. Now he didn't have the best week this past week versus Tampa Bay and Mike Evans, but on a week to week basis, just this guy, Jalen Ramsey, is a shutdown corner and the best corner in football does literally everything not afraid to hit he can he travels um he he, he, he defends everybody he covers any and everybody uh so i got jalen ramsey at 10 at nine i have trent williams trent williams might be the best left tackle i've ever seen i'm not saying he's the best of all time but he's the best left tackle i've probably ever seen the way how the niners move him is incredible They have their left tackle motioning. When last time did you see a superstar left tackle motioning to to left to right? That's what the 49ers have Trent Williams doing. He's that good. You look at his PFF grade. He had the highest PFF grade ever. (laughs) Trent Williams is a monster at the left tackle position. At number eight, I have Travis Kelsey. He's a not he's a he's a matchup nightmare. I already talked about how great he is. Uh, I think he has seven straight thousand yard receiving seasons. That's the first time a tight end has ever done that. Um, I think he did that last year too. The first time a tight end ever had six straight thousand yard receive. He's he's damn he's damn good. Travis Kelsey at number eight. At number seven, I have Matthew Stafford. Uh, arm talent phenomenal. Played really well. Played the game of his life really. Versus Tampa Bay, the biggest game of his career up to date. um, Until next week, Uh, he you know he just continues to shine bright. uh, And then it it also helps that you know he has so many weapons on offense. But Matthew Stafford at seven, at number six, I have Joe Burrow. The reason why I have Joe Burrow ahead of Matthew Stafford, not necessarily because he's a better talent, but he did he's don't he's doing something that Matthew Stafford couldn't, and that is uplift a historically bad franchise. And that's what Joe Burrow has done. He has uplifted a historically cheap and bad franchise and has them in the AFC Championship game in his second year. In his second year, he has the Bengals, who hasn't won, they haven't won. The Bengals, before their wildcard win, they haven't won a playoff game in almost 31 years. And before last week, the Bengals have never won a role playoff game. Joe Burrow did that in two weeks. <laughs> he did that. He did all of that in the span of two weeks and has a chance to advance to the Super Bowl. I don't think he will, but he got them there. At number five, I have Cooper Cup. He had one of the more dominant receiving seasons we've ever saw. Uh, he continues to come up big and big spots. He's reliable. He's Really hurt. He's consistent. I think he had fifteen games of ninety plus reception receiving yards. Fifteen games of ninety plus receiving yards. I think he's he he's just that good. He's that consistent. Cooper Cup at five. At number four, I had to put the human cheetah, Tyreek Hill. Like I said, I compare I compare Tyreek Hill's speed to Steph Curry's range. Steph Curry is literally like a magnet on the court to defenses. That's what Tyreek Hill does with his speed. His speed is impeccable. Um, it, it gives defenses headaches. Uh, it, it, he just, and, he, and he just sometimes break runs that's like, how did you even get through that hole that fast? He's literally a human cheetah. Tyreek Hill at number four. At number three, I got Debo Samuel. Yeah, I got Debo Samuel at number three. Honestly, what doesn't he do for 49ers? Like what, like, what doesn't he do? Like, you know the Sunday night football introductions? Uh, and like usually they say like a university. Debo Samuel should just say everything. I do everything. Like he literally does everything. Running back, quarterback, receiver, punt return, kick return. Hell, what, what I mean, what else can he do? Can he play some defense? Debo Sam, I literally don't think the 40, without Debo Samuel and his performances, I don't think the 49ers make it to the playoffs. I honestly don't think, like, I think he's that damn good and that valuable where they don't even make the playoffs if Debo Samuel isn't on their roster. At number two, I have Aaron Donald, the most dominant defensive player in football. Uh, I just, Aaron Donald is just, He's a he's a game wrecker. Even when even when Aaron Donald doesn't get the sack or even when he's not even close to the play, you can tell that Aaron Donald had some type of impact on plays. He literally has an impact on every defensive play. Not a lot of defensive players can say that ever. Aaron Donald at two. At number one, obviously, kind of guessed it. Yeah, it's Patrick Mahomes. At number one, I have Patrick Mahomes at number one. Best player remaining. Uh, I feel like this is a this is a this was a bit difficult. This was more this was more challenging than the top 10 teams list, because usually in the top 10 teams list, you know, you got you you can pick and choose. But with this, it's like best 15 players remaining. Best fifteen players, you gotta you gotta kind of measure impact and you know how valuable they are, what they have done this year, and you know uh, what you know how they're playing as recently, as it late, you know how they're used in their systems and their respective teams. This is definitely a little bit more challenging, uh, maybe because I don't do it as often. But these, in my opinion, are the top fifteen players remaining in the postseason. Obviously, guys like OBJ. You could have made an argument for. Um, There's a couple other guys that people, you know, I'm sure you guys can make an argument for. But these are the top 15 teams. These are the best 15 players remaining in the postseason. Uh, I'm going to wrap this bad boy up. It was a pretty good episode. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, Always remember, two choices, one decision. I am out. Peace, deuces. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to drop a bonus episode this week. But... uh, yeah, I, I keep you guys tuned. Always remember, uh, like I said, two choices, one decision. I'm out. Peace. Deuces. Gone.